Hello, how are you? I hope you're having a great day. Welcome to the Between Me and Drew podcast with Drew from Clara Joyce. That is me. My name is Drew. And yes, I have the honor, the privilege, and all of the above of um, working and owning and operating Clara Joyce Flowers here in northwestern Illinois, tucked in the foothills of the Driftless region. And today we're going to be talking about ranunculus and i'm very excited to be able to share some knowledge about this crop because it is one of my very favorite flowers that we grow here it's one of the crops that we grow the most of for early season production and once you can crack the code on understanding how these plants work uh, understanding their cultural um preferences and and the the fundamentals of how this these types of plants operate um, it, it makes them so much easier to understand and um, we get so many requests questions and requests for help when it comes to ranunculus and I know that we're not the only one um, I know that different brokers that we work with that sell roots and um, the the dormant plants always have questions <laughs> that are coming to me asking um, so I am super stoked to have this as a resource for you to come back to to listen to during the off season and kind of mull things over uh, before you really bite the bullet and jump in with growing ranunculus so without any further ado let's get going all right, so today we're going to be chatting about ranunculus, and I think one thing that we need to start off with is um, really understanding the pathology behind how ranunculus work. And today we're going to kind of bounce back and forth, not necessarily back and forth, but include anemones um, in our discussions, um, because there are a lot of similarities between ranunculus and anemones, um, and culturally they're both very similar. Um, and once we start to talk about, you know, harvesting and storage and things like that, that's when we start to get into more of the differences. But I want to, uh, focus and specialize the majority of, um, the talk today on ranunculus specifically, because, um, that they're one of, we grow more ranunculus, ranunculus than we do anemones, and um, I just think that there is more of an emphasis when it comes to questions about ranunculus, so that is what we're going to be focusing on. Um, so as far as pathological, uh, one of the things that really helped me understand um, how anemones work is to truly trace it back to where they're native from. Um, and the types of ranunculus that we grow for cut flower production um, are Mediterranean type plants. So our job when we're growing them is to best mimic their natural habitat um, as much as we can in our environments to make sure that they are performing the way they should be. Um, so when we're when we're thinking about the area that these plants are originating from, um, they traditionally have a very hot, dry summer. That's when the, these plants would be going into their dormancy stage. Um, and then their quote-unquote winter is very wet and rainy. So that's when the, the roots would be rehydrating, foliage would be coming into production, flowers would be being produced, um, and then they would be going into the summer drought season again, and all of that would stop and a forced dormancy would come. And I think that's really important to 
grasp, one, and to remember as we talk about how we grow ranunculus here on the farm. Because really understanding the way that these plants are instinctively trying to grow is going to make it a lot um, more conducive for what, what we do to really stick um, in your mind and in your practices. So with that kind of like natural cycle um, at the forefront of our minds, um, we're, we're going to talk about how we um, produce beautiful flowers. And um, when, we, when we receive ranunculus roots, um, which pet peeve, here we go. Um, a lot of times you'll see ranunculus and anemones both being sold as corms. And a corm is a type of a root system. But actually, ranunculus are not corms. They are a tuberous root. So we really should be calling them ranunculus tubers. Um, but dahlia tubers um, have dominated that um, mentality of being a tuberous type root rooted plant and for some reason ranunculus have always kind of been shuffled under the uh corm label as well but that is not correct they are a tuberous type plant so we really should be referring to them as ranunculus tubers so when we receive ranunculus tubers from a broker or another farm or wherever they're coming in from and we'll talk about sourcing in a little bit too towards the end um but they are, they're coming in dry. They're coming in at their dormant state. So um, that plant, when we receive it, is it looks like a dried up, shriveled octopus. Um, and they can definitely vary in size depending on the type and the series and where they're coming from and, you know, how they were graded. You know, sometimes when we receive Italian ranunculus, they're very, very small. Um, we're talking like barely a half of an inch um, from top to bottom. Sometimes they're larger. But then when we get into like the tecalodes um, and the butterfly type ranunculus, then the, the roots are coming in a lot larger because it's a, a more robust type plant. Um, they produce more foliage, things like that. The size of the root does have a, an impact on the um, amount of flowers and just the overall plant size that you will be experiencing once it is starting to grow. So our general rule of thumb is always purchase the largest root stock or the largest uh, tuber clump that you can afford. Um, and a lot of times if a, a broker or a grower is selling multiple sizes, they'll have them broken out by um, the diameter uh, in centimeters or the circumference in centimeters. So it'll be like a 5.7 or a 7.9 um, or a 3.4. Um, that number range, so say 3 to 4, is the amount of centimeters that it takes to go around that um, root system or that, that tuber chunk that you're purchasing. So overall, uh, if we're comparing ranunculus tubers to dahlia tubers, ranunculus are a lot, lot smaller because it is just a smaller plant that you're growing. Um, but that's one thing to keep in mind. Anyway, uh, ranunculus tubers come to us in their dormant state. So when we want to start growing them, we need to uh, basically initiate their fall season if we're keeping in mind the natural cycles that these plants have um, in their in their native habitats. So the way that we do that is when we know that we have a growing space that is ready to be planted, and we'll talk about 
site preparation and things like that in a minute. Um, but we, we, um, essentially just need to introduce water or higher humidities and moisture levels to those plants in order to get those roots and those tubers to swell up. And ranunculus roots are great at storing water and they will double and triple in size with the presence of moisture. Um, one of the common ways of, uh, pre-sprouting, which is this process that we're doing right now of ranunculus roots and anemones too, is to soak them under uh, water in um, a sink or in a bucket with a, a small steady stream of water flowing on top of that bucket. Um, the thought process there with that steady stream is that you always are introducing more oxygen to the water because it is easy to waterlog and kill um, these roots if you're soaking them in this manner. But one thing that we've done over the past several years is kind of bypassed this soaking practice if we have a few days um, to work with. So what we'll do is we will put um, new uh, ranunculus tubers in like a mesh bag or in a colander or something that water can still pass through. And we'll just water it heavy three to four times a day in the prop house. Um, because our propagation house has a higher humidity level, um, so those roots are not as prone to dry out very quickly. Um, and if we're watering them heavy, they're getting plenty of oxygen um, in between waterings, and excess water is able to, to run off the surface. And it's um, a practice that we've found to be very productive, and we lose very little um, amount of plants when we do it this way. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in detail once we get into um, storing ranunculus and how we go through that process as well. Um, I'm going to make a note so we don't lose track. Um, Pre-starting saved. All right, beautiful. So once we have um, ranunculus roots that are hydrated and um, when we're doing that in the prop house, you know, this process will take up to a week of watering three to four times a day. Um, if you're not, if you don't have the luxury of doing it in a propagation house and you are soaking your corms, what your, what your goal is, is to, um, one of two things. If you are, if you have the ability to plant those roots out right away, um, you can kind of skip this next step. But if you have like a week worth of time that you need to, you know, remove the previous plant material that was on that bed, amend the soil, cultivate that soil, etc. You know, you can implement that into your, your process if you're going no-till or whatever. Um, what you're going to do next is kind of cheat the system <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, sometimes when, when farms and, and growers are uh, pre-sprouting or pre-starting the ranunculus and anemones too, uh, once that root is soaked, they'll put it into like a 50-cell tray and um, basically grow it like a transplant. And you can do that. You, there's, there's no reason you can't do that. Um, and what that process entails is taking that root uh, system, putting it into a 50-cell flat, um, covering it with soil, and then growing it out until that plug is then ready to be planted outside. Uh, but there is a little bit of a cheat that you can do because that process takes two to three weeks to, to achieve of growing it into a cell. Um, but I don't want us to devote two extra weeks of maintenance to something if it's not necessary. So what we do is we take those uh, soaked roots, those soaked tubers, 
uh, that are fully hydrated. And then we're going to put them into an open flat, so like a 1020 flat with holes in the bottom, uh, which is just your standard black plastic tray, 10 inches by 20 inches with holes in the bottom. Um, and then you're going to dump your uh, soaked roots on top of that and then lightly cover it with a potting soil or a media of some sort, just something to help hold in that humidity or that moisture. And then you're going to uh, gently overwater that um, for the next week. And what will happen is you will see um, eyes and roots start to emerge from the crown of the ranunculus. And the reason I say that you don't necessarily have to do this step um, as long as your beds are prepped is because um, if you have a prepared bed, you can plant your soaked ranunculus tuber uh, clump directly into the soil. And then this pre-sprouting quote unquote uh, process will happen on its own in your growing bed. So instead of you taking the time to do this process and instead of you purchasing these flats and purchasing the media to go on top of the, the tubers, um, you can skip all of that and just plant the soaked tubers directly in the soil and just water it heavy for the first week um, and you're good to go. And that this this process is something that isn't talked about a whole lot. Um, and I'm, I'm not quite sure why, and I really sat with this a lot over the past few weeks trying to figure out why um, we are so accustomed to trying to have so much control and regulate so many things um, when really we don't need to because these plants um, are going to take care of it on their own. You know, We just have to supply um, the, the, the requirements that they're needing, um, the inputs that they're needing, and um, they're passing through with flying colors. So that is, that's really how we do the quote-unquote pre-sprouting here on our farm. Um, we're letting these plants, you know, get into that bed as soon as possible. Let them get established um, because we plant our ranunculus before winter. And that is because we're planting them in an unheated house. Um, but it that that greenhouse or that high tunnel structure um, has two layers of plastic on the roof, and the the layers um, or that the space in between the layers of plastic is inflated with an inflation fan, and that air bubble that is created between those two layers of plastic over the top of the greenhouse is enough insulation um, and heat barrier to keep the soil from freezing over our long winter and we're in zone 5a 5b depending on the winter here um, so we do get down to the negative 20s and that is quite common here uh, at the farm so we found over the years that doing it this way in this type of a house is enough insulation for us to get by with of fall planting um, and then have them be ready for the spring if you are if you don't have the ability to have a house like this with an inflated roof, um, let's say you're growing these in like a traditional tunnel, uh, high tunnel with one layer of plastic, um, I and you know that the, plat the the soil in that tunnel will freeze over the winter, um, you're not able to plant ranunculus in that type of a setting. Um, and here's why. Dormant tubers, ranunculus tubers, that are completely dried out, are able to take a frost. They can freeze and they'll be fine. 
because there is very little moisture in that plant tissue. So moisture in plant tissue, when it freezes, it expands. And when we have this occur to like annuals like celosia and amaranth, those plants don't have the built-in essentially antifreeze uh, to make the cells not rupture when that water expands. Whereas a foxglove can be completely frozen and then it can thaw and then it, the plant is totally unscathed, okay? Ranunculus are very similar to the celosia and the amaranth, uh, the roots are. So those roots are not able to, to freeze and when they're hydrated. They can freeze when they're dormant because there's no water introduced to that tissue. Uh, but once you hydrate those roots and those tubers, then it is very, very important to make sure that that, system, that part of the plant does not freeze. Um, if, and that, that's where it gets very specific in understanding the, the growing space that you have access to. Because if you don't have the ability to plant in an area that isn't going to have frozen soil, you need to wait until the spring or very late winter in order for you to be able to safely plant out your own ranunculus roots. And I think this is where the majority of the confusion comes into play uh, because you'll see farms who do have structures like we do that are able to plant in the fall. Um, but we only know that we're able to do that because we've screwed up so many times and we've lost so many ranunculus roots because we were trying to understand you know, how these plants really work. And we do have a question that Mary sent in that I want to make sure that we get answered today um, that I think is going to help a lot of people. And we're going to save that for the end. So we're going to cover all of the cultural and the growing practices that we do on the farm. Uh, we'll talk about the ins and outs of all of those, and then we'll get to questions at the end. Um, so getting back to where we were, um, we are able to plant the way we do because our soil doesn't freeze in these houses. So... Um, once we have a, a pre-soaked pre um, tuber and our beds are prepared and ready to go, we will um, start to get those babies nestled in the soil. And the way that we plant here on the farm is we're working on three-foot-wide beds. And a three-foot-wide bed is basically um, our general practice for the entire growing system here on the farm. Everything is set up for three-foot-wide. And um, it's easier for us to harvest off a three-foot wide bed. We can step over it if we need to. Um, and it's easier for me to do math on threes rather than a four-foot wide bed. So um, on our three-foot wide beds in the greenhouses for ranunculus, we have four lines of drip tape running down the length of the bed. And uh, we will plant five rows of plants, um, five rows of ranunculus um, on each bed. So we have four lines of tape and five lines of plants. And if you have a, a pen or something in front of you, you can visually draw that out so you can kind of see how we're packing that many plants into a small space. Um, and what we'll do is once we have our drip lines pulled, we'll take a narrow hoe and pull that hoe the entire length of the bed. So we're making a small trench. And we'll do that everywhere that we want a row of plants to be. So that ditch, essentially, is already prepared for us for when we start to plant. And what we'll do is, um, with our soaked roots, is we'll go through and we'll uh, kind of shove or pu gently push in the ranunculus roots into that trench. Um, every 
four to five inches will put a, a, a root clump down. So these are a fairly tight packed growing crop. Um, it's not, you know, 12 inches in between each plant because on a production scale that's not adequate, it's not sufficient, it's not sustainable for us to have that much space in between all of our plants. Um, so we are packing these in very tight. But once we have all of our roots down, then we'll just go along and we'll take our hand and cover up the rows or the lines of plants um, with the soil that was displaced with the hoe when we dug those ditches or those trenches um, as our markers. So it is a very quick process for planting ranunculus when we're doing it this way. If you were... Uh, pre-sprouting your ranunculus into trays and cells, um, it's going to take you a lot longer to plant them. Um, it might be a little bit more precise in your planting an, an already established and growing plant, um, but you are running the, the risk of transplant shock. Um, it's going to take that plant longer to get established into that growing space and that soil because you are putting that plant through a certain level of trauma through that transition um so we are going for efficiencies and we're going for uh, reduced trauma on those plants and this is how we do it here on the farm once we have those pre-soaked uh, tuber clumps uh, planted then we're going to water those beds very heavy for the next four to five days and it's very important that you have lots and lots of moisture um, in that soil because these uh, plants that you're putting into the soil in the into the ground um, are still in the very early stages of producing their own root systems so they are requiring a very large amount of moisture to keep building and expanding their roots that were previously dormant um, they're taking and putting a lot of energy into eye production and they're taking even more energy from those so stored carbohydrates in the roots uh, to produce roots, new roots, um, to grow more plant material and more flowers for the upcoming season. Um, so you have to have to make sure that you have adequate moisture in the beds. And if you don't have a ground cover on top of the soil, um, you are going to have to compensate for evaporation on a daily basis. You're going to need to be watering more. Um, and we do all of our irrigation through drip irrigation. So we'll leave those freshly planted ranunculus houses on for quite a while. Um, we want to see the entire top surface of that bed fully hydrated um, just to make sure that there is enough moisture available for these plants to really do what they got to do. That kind of brings us to another thing. Um, we don't put any um, bed covering or ground covering on our ranunculus beds. And um, we do that for a couple reasons. Because when we're growing over the winter, you have a much lesser amount of weed seed that are that's going to germinate um, in those cooler temperatures and in the reduced light that we have here on the farm over the winter. So that cuts down on the amount of weeds that we have to deal with. So that's number one. Number two, a lot of the ground covers um, are black. And black is going to absorb more sunlight, which is going to heat up your soil, which you would think, oh, you know, we want warm soil because it's going to help the plants grow faster. But 
this ties directly back into understanding the natural plant pathology and how these plants are being grown in their native state. Because when it gets hot, when that soil temperature rises in their native, you know, late spring, early summer, these plants are going into a, a, a dormancy, a dormant period. So if we are able to keep that soil temperature cooler for a longer period of time, those plants are going to stay alive and be happier for a lot longer, which is then going to mean that we're going to have more flowers to harvest over a prolonged period of time. So by not putting a ground barrier or a soil uh, or a barrier in general on this bed, it's going to be easier for these soil temperatures to stay cooler um, because there's no plastic um, to keep that uh, heat in. Um, there's no additional black on top of the soil uh, to absorb that sun. Um, so th that's you know how we move through this. We have done uh, in the past using a white plastic on the bed uh, to help reflect that sun. But the other thing that I found too is that um, if your ranunculus is not planted directly upright or uh, your anemone is tipped off to one side, um, sometimes those sprouts and shoots will get caught underneath the plastic as well. Um, so then you're losing flowers that way. I've seen farms use uh, straw as a cover on beds for ranunculus, and I think that's a great option if you are needing to either one add supplemental organic matter to your soil season after season, um, if you or if you are really looking for a um, ground cover, if you know that's going to be an issue for your specific location, then I think straw is a great alternative to a plastic in this space or this this instance. Um, once we have our beds planted here on the farm, um, and at this point in the year, we're talking like late October, early November, um, we're going to leave these beds uncovered for several weeks because we want these plants to get established. We want to see foliage start to be coming up from the soil. Um, we want to really make sure that they're growing good um, before we cover them. And here is another thing to uh, kind of factor into your overall decision-making process with ranunculus too, something else to keep in mind. But the foliage on ranunculus and anemones is very much like spinach or kale. And that is, and I say that because the foliage has the ability to freeze if it has been exposed to cooler temperatures um, building up to that point. So we won't cover our ranunculus with frost cloth until usually mid to late December um, because even though that foliage tissue is going through basically freezing temperatures every single night and that tissue is freezing, um, it's building up a hardiness uh, because of that with the freeze-thaw on a daily basis. Um, and that foliage is very tough, and it can handle that. Um, and it, that freezing on a nightly basis and thawing during the day um, is actually providing a slower growth habit, um, which is then going to benefit you in the spring um, because that plant is getting used to those cold temperatures, um, which is just going to help you in the long run. 
Um, but again, you have to keep in mind that if you start to see frost starting to work its way in in the actual soil of your house, then you're going to have to be a little more proactive on making sure that you are providing that level of, of frost protection that those roots are going to need, um, which leads us into what we do f in regards to that here. Um, so if we're leaving these plants uncovered for quite a while, it's pretty late into the season, honestly, um, and the foliage is very hardy at this point, but we know that our nighttime temperatures and our daytime temperatures are going to start to even out a little bit more. Um, you know, it's very cold here, especially late January all the way through February. Um, here on the farm can be brutal. Um, so at this point, we're going to go through and pull at least one, maybe two layers of Ag 50 fabric over the entire house that is planted or all of that planted space. Um, so Ag 50 means uh, it's one of, or it is one of the higher um, levels of protection of frost cloth. Um, and Ag 50, so Ag means Agribond, which is the brand that we use. Um, that you don't have to use a specific brand for frost cloth. Um, what I would do if you are purchasing frost cloth is to actually purchase a true frost cloth, not just rely on bed sheets. <laughs> Um, if you're using an actual frost protection material, um, you're going to be able to see the different grades that are available. There's Ag 10, I think there's like an Ag 30, there's an Ag 50, and I'm pretty sure there's a higher grade yet too. Um, the larger the number, the more frost protection um, and heat retention that that material has to offer. So we need to go in with a relatively large uh, protection level um, in order to re retain or reserve as much of that daytime temperature as we can. Um, one of the other interesting things too that we do is once frost cloth goes on for the season, it doesn't come off until we're ready to start to force those plants. Um, I know that there are farms who will take frost cloth on and off every single day, and that's something that we don't do here. Um, for our frost cloth, depending on how large that plant material is when we are covering it, um, if it's only, you know, four to six inches above the soil, um, then we'll just pull the frost cloth directly over that. We won't even put any hoops or stakes up to keep the frost material off of the tissue. Um, if the plant material is larger and taller, like eight to ten inches in height, then we'll go through and we'll put uh, fiberglass rods in each bed in kind of a crisscross pattern so that when we pull that frost material and that cloth over, it's not resting directly on the leaves and weighing all of that plant material down. Um, so that is something to kind of keep in mind as well. If you do start to see, you know, frost coming to, starting to work into the sides of your, you know, your house or your greenhouse or tunnel or whatever your structure is, um, then you're going to need to start to get a little more intense in your um, actions at that point. So that would be, you know, adding in supplemental heat over the nighttime temp, over the nighttime periods, um, leaving that structure closed more during the day to build up more heat during the day to help thaw that frost out on a daily basis, um, which, you know, you have to kind of keep an eye on that to make sure you're not cooking the <laughs> leaves and foliage 
when you're doing that. But um, that all, you know, takes time. It takes practice to figure out. And there are times where you're going to fail, and that's just how it is. Um, you know, for better or worse, a lot of times the best way to learn is by failing. Um, but once we are, we've made it through our super cold months, so January and February, um, once we get into March, where we know that our nighttime temperatures are going to be a lot warmer, um, we'll go ahead and remove that frost cloth. And when we say remove it, we'll oftentimes just uh, pile it up in the on the backside of the greenhouse so that if we do have um, cold temperatures when this, these plants are flowering, the frost cloth is still there. It's ready for us to use. We don't have to you know, trudge it back and forth from the shop to the greenhouse. It's still there and easily accessible. Um, but when we do remove that frost cloth for the first time in months, um, it's not uncommon for us to see things like a little bit of rotting tissue. Uh, sometimes some mold will be growing on the surface of the soil. Um, things like that. We don't oftentimes see a ton of botrytis this early in the season because it has been so, so cold. Um, but that is something that can set on very quickly. And we kind of handle all of these things. So decaying foliage, a little bit of botrytis, some mold. Uh, we kind of handle it all in one fell swoop. And the biggest thing that I can say when it comes to things like this and pests like this in this specific type of growing situation is to increase the amount of natural air movement as much as you can. So if we know that we're going to have days in the 40s and 50s, even high 30s, we'll go ahead and open that house up all the way. Um, if we've got these things, you know, happening in the growing zones of these plants. And when I say open the houses, that means open up the end walls, roll up the sides, um, just to get as much fresh air and breeze movement in that house as we can. And then as soon as those daytime temperatures start to drop down, um, usually around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, we'll go back down and close everything up so that we have a few more hours to, to kind of build up some heat from the sun before we go into the nighttime temperatures again. Um, and we'll do that process for about a week, week and a half, sometimes two weeks, if there's not a lot of air movement during the day. And that honestly will usually clean up a lot of those issues. Um, we also won't necessarily be too ultra concerned about pulling frost cloth um, when the buds start to bloom or start to be produced in the plants um, and you'll see little bloom spikes starting to pop up here and there at this point in the growing process as well um, but we will start to cover with frost cloth once the actual flowers start to mature and bloom um, the flowers flower heads themselves cannot freeze um, so that's when we would be going back through and covering um, about midway in the afternoon uh, again to kind of help build up some heat before these plants go into the cold nighttime temperatures um, so when it comes to watering during uh, flower production and we're still foliage production um, oh I should also note that we didn't water or we don't water ranunculus at all over the winter um, because during the day they're building up humidity and that humidity is um, turning into dew on the plants and then that 
since it's covered in two layers of frost cloth, that dew is not evaporating. So it's working its way back into the plant tissue in the soil. Um, so we don't really water. We do sometimes we'll check if it's super, super dry or if the plants are starting to look dusty. Um, a little tip on ranunculus, the foliage will look dusty when they're really dry. Um, so kind of keep that in mind. Um, if we're seeing that, then we will turn the irrigation on to make sure that they're not drying out because a dried plant is a stressed plant and a stressed plant is a lot more susceptible to disease. Um, so we want to make sure that they're, they're healthy during that winter time because it is a little bit of a stressor. It is a lot of a stressor, honestly, on them. Um, so we need to keep them as, as happy as we can. During actual, like, active growing season, we'll say, um, we are irrigating quite a bit with ranunculus and anemones because um, there's a lot of stuff happening uh, in these plants as far as growing systems. Um, so they are, you know, very rapidly producing foliage. Um, they're going to be producing blooms very quickly too. So from a nutrition perspective, they are going to need a larger amount of nitrogen early in the season, just like most plants do. Uh, because they are producing foliage, and foliage is a, a large nitrogen um, sucker. So we need to provide that. Um, so we would be doing that through, if you're going organic or more of a quote-unquote sustainable route, um, would be things like fish emulsion, seaweed extracts, etc. Um, we do amend ranunculus beds with triple 20 uh, when we are preparing them here on the farm. So there is a large nitrogen bank already available for these plants um, for when they get to this stage of production. Um, when it comes to irrigating specifically, you need to make sure that you're not using hot or warm water. And you wouldn't think that that would be a big deal, but it really is when we are wanting to make sure that the soil temperature is as cool as possible for these plants. So we have the luxury and ability here at the farm to pull water straight out of the well, um, and it's all run underground. Um, so when we're watering our greenhouses and fields, that water is coming out of the ground at around 50 to 55 degrees, depending on the season uh, or time of year. So that's very cool. Um, temperature wise is so that's helping to keep that soil temperature cooler as well um, e there are certain type times that you'll see um, pests starting to come into play at this time in the growth process as well um, we don't usually see a lot of pest pressure when it's just foliage production but once you start to have blooms being produced and bloom spikes are being produced by these plants, uh, then you're going to see things like thrips and aphids come into play. Um, and those are the two main um, in insects and pests that we see and hear the most about. Um, fortunately, here on the farm, we do not have a lot of thrip pressure, which is amazing. Um, but aphids definitely are an issue here. And um, we uh, this spring got on a uh, lacewing larva program. So every week or week and a half, we would receive a package of green lacewing larva, 
which lacewing uh, adults, nymphs and adults, are um, going to feed on aphids. So um, if when we receive the eggs, we're then applying those eggs um, to the actual beds of ranunculus. They're then uh, maturing, turning into adults, and then would be feeding on the aphids um, that are attacking our plants. So that's one way to go about it. Um, from a more chemical-based uh, avenue, there are lots of chemicals that will take care of aphids. Um, if you are utilizing a spray, I would definitely be a little cautious about how you are applying because um, ranunculus have very delicate petals, and sometimes chemicals will stain the petal of that flower. So you have to be very cautious um, in how you're applying the chemical that you're using, definitely do a test before you apply a chemical to your entire growing system <laughs> because you might be without flowers to sell for a few weeks until those plants are reproducing new uh, blooms. So uh, definitely keep an eye on that. And the best thing that we found, regardless of the type of flower that you're growing, but it's always best to take care of an insect or a pest as soon as you are able to identify it, notice it and identify it. You know, if you can see aphids or you can see, you know, whatever that pest is, don't wait until it's a huge problem to do something about it. Um, because by the time it's a really big deal, a lot of times it's too late because those plants are already super stressed out because something is eating them, literally. Um, and they're that's just not the best situation to be in. So you always want to be as proactive as possible. With all of that in mind, eventually <laughs> you're going to have a harvestable crop to sell. Um, and when we harvest ranunculus, it's going the the stage that we harvest in is definitely going to depend on the type of ranunculus that we are growing and that we're harvesting. So we usually start off harvesters with um, the tecalote type ranunculus because the tecalote type plants are going to produce a lot more flowers per plant um, rather than like the butterflies or the the French or the Italians would. Um, and they're a little bit more cost effective because of that as well. So it's okay if you screw up a few times on the tecalotes. But when we're harvesting tecalotes, we want to make sure that the buds are still fairly closed or tight when we're harvesting because they don't have as many petals on each head. Um, and because of this, they're much more prone to open up quicker and more fully um, in storage or in transport or in a vase arrangement, um, however that happens. Um, so tecalotes are being harvested when they're tighter and smaller, which is different than something like an Italian or a French. Um, Italian genetics for ranunculus would be um, the Cloni series, the Elegant series, things like that. Those are typically offered through Ownings. Um, Tecalotes are offered primarily, in our experience, through Leo Burby Bulb Co. out of Ohio. That's where we would get all of our Tecalotes from. Um, the Cloni and the um, Elegant series are stunning when you can grow them for a longer, prolonged, cool time. Um, they're gorgeous. They're so beautiful. They are more expensive, but they're lovely. Um, those, we usually will wait for the first outer rings of petals to start to relax. 
Um, and you'll see what I mean visually when you are growing and getting ready to harvest these. Um, we want to make sure that the petals are still cupped upright, but we want that head to be a little bit more uh, relaxed and opened. Um, because there are so many petals on these flowers specifically, um, they're not going to open completely um, after they're harvested. So we want to make sure that there is a little bit more of that life in those stems and more of that show in those stems before they're harvested. Um, when it comes to things like uh, the French series, so labels and amandines, um, those uh, are very similar to the Italians, uh, but just with a little bit smaller head size. So you're going to be waiting for those outer few petal layers to kind of open and relax before we're harvesting those. Um, butterfly ranunculus are something that's totally different. Um, butterfly are offered through a couple different brokers. We get them from Co. from Botanical Trading Company. Um, and um, butterfly ranunculus are very expensive. They're uh, between $1.50 to $2 uh, per root wholesale, uh, which is quite pricey for a ranunculus um, because we have to buy them in such large quantities. Um, but with that in mind, you are able to harvest a lot more plant material off of those plants. Um, butterfly ranunculus are what I would consider to be a branching type ranunculus. So if they're very, very happy, um, you'll be able to harvest multiple stems off of each branch that those plants produce, um, which then means more marketable stems per plant which is going to have a higher return on your investment, um, which is something that you really need to keep in mind. Um, and all of these um, factors that play into your um, number of stems that you'll be able to harvest off of each plant really tie back to the environment that it's in and how that plant has been handled. So if you are able to, again, keep in mind how this plant is being um, grown in its native state, and you're able to mimic that as much as you can by giving it a prolonged cool period um, to grow foliage, a prolonged bl cool blooming period. Um, it's going to be much more active for a longer period of time, um, which is going to give you more stems. Um, ultimately, no one is Jesus, and uh, the inevitable is going to happen. <laughs> um, and that is that these plants are going to go into a dormant state. Um, and I touched on this earlier, but once your soil temperature gets uh, to a certain degree, and we found that to be between 65 and 75, which is very warm for soil, um, a lot of times we'll see plants start to go down once the soil temperature gets to be around 58 to 60. Um, so when you see your soil temperatures climbing to that level, what will happen is the flower quality will be a lot less. Um, so heads will be smaller, stems will be a lot thinner and more spindly. They're easier to break a lot, more prone to break a lot easier. Um, so when you start to see that, you know that the end of your ranunculus season is quickly approaching. Also, at this point in time, the plants are just going to be stressed in general because it is so warm. So you're going to see things like powdery mildew becoming a lot more prevalent in your growing space. Um, so these are all just telltale signs that the plants are very tired. They've performed for a long period of time, and they are ready to go to sleep. 
So when we see that happening, what we'll do is we'll actually close that house up completely. So we'll close all the sides, close the doors, and we'll leave it closed for weeks. And what we're doing is we're just pushing that dormancy along at a quicker pace. And we're not watering at this stage either because we need these plants to die, basically. Um, so during that forcing that dormancy forcing time, what's happening is all of the energy that was uh, being produced in the leaves is now being packed into those roots um, because this plant is thinking that it's, it, and realistically it is, going into its summer drought period. So it is, you know, really gearing up for a long, rough season of no water. So once the foliage has died back completely and it's brown and crispy, those plants are fully dormant. So what we'll do at that point is we will start to go through and we'll dig all of the ranunculus out, keeping them separated by variety and series and things like that. And then we will, uh, once the, the root is dug, then we'll go through, cut all of the foliage and stem off right above the crown of the plant. Um, and we'll shake off as much soil as will come off easily. Um, a lot of times, and this goes with dahlias as well, but you'll see people wash ranunculus um, to make sure that all of the soil is completely removed. But what you're doing at that state is, you, or that stage, is you're introducing a lot of trauma <laughs> to that plant. Um, because everything and all the media that those roots were grown in is being stripped away from it. So if you can lessen the amount of impact and trauma that you're in introducing to that root system, that tuber and the crown, um, and you're able to leave some of that um, humidity and moisture retention material in that crown zone, um, it's going to store a lot better. Uh, during the summer and that is really what our goal is is we need to um, be able to harvest these roots out of the soil remove the tissue shake off as much dirt as we can pack them into bulb crates or mesh bags or something and then they go and live on a pallet in our barn and that's how they sit for the entire summer and frankly all the way through fall until we're ready to plant them um, so we need to make sure that they're at a good state and in a good stage before they go into this period of no touching. Um, the farms that I see that are washing their ranunculus roots are then going to be selling them at um, later in the season, um, but we're not doing that here with the ranunculus that we're growing. Um, everything that we're growing, we're saving to then replant, um, and it... I'm not saying that we wouldn't ever sell ranunculus roots because who knows, someday we might. Um, but because we still have so much of that soil still in those roots, um, it would just be kind of messy and not super clean to, to ship and transport and probably not the most sanitary either. Um, so we that's just how we do it. That's how we found to be the most effective. Um, and I love to make sure that we leave some of that media still in those root systems because when we start to pre-start the ranunculus all over again the next season, that media that we've left in the root system is going to help hold water for us when we're watering these roots in the prop house 
which is then going to retain more moisture, which is then going to help those roots plump up quicker, which is then going to give them a more of a jump start on when they're planted into the soil. So it's really this big system, this big process um, that really ties back to the original mentality of understanding the pathology of how these plants work in their native environment. And again, to, <laughs> to say this again as a reminder, these are a Mediterranean-type plant. They have a dry, dormant summer. They hydrate in the fall. They produce foliage and flowers over their winter and spring. And then they go into a dormancy in the summer. So our job is to just provide that process to them, help them along the way, supplement the things that they need, and everybody's happy. Really. That's how it works. Okay? So at this point, we've talked about how we grow diseases, preventatives, things like that, how we take care and clean up some of that stuff. We've talked about sourcing. We've talked about harvesting, dormancy, digging, things like that. So really, we've covered the whole process. Um, when it comes to growing specifics for either a smaller grower or a home gardener, um, we haven't necessarily touched on this. And I've saved Mindy's question for the very end because we're, we're getting to this point. Um, so Mindy's question is, hello, or her, her submission will say, hello, I love following you on Instagram. I'm a new flower farmer and will grow ranunculus for the first time this coming season. So exciting. I am in zone 5B. Do ranunculus need winter protection if I plant now? I don't have a hoop house but can make a tunnel. Would that be sufficient protection? Thank you so much, Mindy. Okay, Mindy. Well, thank you for sending this in because I think this is where a lot of people find themselves. And if you don't have a structure with an inflated ceiling like we talked about, I, do, I would not suggest planting them in the fall. What I would do, however, is build your tunnel or your hoop or your your protection structure now build it now and then maintain it over the winter so ma maintenance on that would be like removing immense snows um things like that but i'm going to suggest you build that now so that you aren't <laughs> outside in the middle of winter pounding rebar or whatever you're using for your hoop structure into frozen soil because frankly that sucks and no one likes to do that so do this legwork now so that when you do get to the end of February, when we're starting to decrease on our super intense um, nighttime temperatures, you, that soil is already starting to heat up for you. So by the time you get to the beginning of March, you should be you should have frost-free soil under that plastic hoop, okay? And that's when you're gonna start planting your ranunculus. Um, we've done this before. That's actually my first several years of ranunculus experience was doing this same process. Um, so if your goal is to plant the first two weeks in March, by the end of the last week of February, you're going to want to be soaking your ranunculus and pre-sprouting them that way. Um, so that by the time uh, second week of March comes around and your soil is thawed underneath your hoop, um, you're then ready to go and at that point in time you're still going to have cool nights and relatively cool days which is going to help that plant be able to grow foliage in that cool period and then it'll be ready to go by 
um, April and May. Um, so one other thing to keep in mind with ranunculus, we will typically, when we're growing them this way, we're giving that crop 90 days to go from in the ground to the first few flowers to be produced. So if you can kind of time that out to make sure that you don't have super, super hot temperatures within that 90-day period, 90 to 120 days, um, you're going to be able to have ranunculus. Um, so, Mindy, to answer your question, I would hold off on planting now, build your structure, your hoop, maintain that over the winter so that you have that site prepped and ready to go for the first few weeks in March. So, I think that was one component that we did not talk about during our main discussion. Um, so, again, Mindy, thank you so much for submitting that because I think that's really going to help a lot of people. Okay, so today we've talked about all of the things that we do that go into ranunculus and growing and tips and tricks and all that fun jazz. Um, so thank you so much for following along, listening, being attentive. Um, as always, please do follow us on social media. Um, just like Mindy, you can submit questions um, if you have certain questions on topics that we'll never be talking about. Um, follow us on the socials. You can see really what's going on. This past week, we were planting ranunculus, so you can check out all that information. Um, on social media, we're on Instagram under Clara Joyce Flowers, and our wedding account is Clara Joyce Weddings on Instagram. Also on Facebook, we're on as Clara Joyce Flowers, so check us out. If you do have specific questions on previous topics or previous episodes or ideas on new topics, you can send me an email at drew at clarajoyceflowers.com. On our website, Clara Joyce Flowers, we've got merchandise, plants, tubers, and so much more available to be purchased and shipped to you with more information on timelines on those specific items on the website as well. And also, depending on your streaming platform, please like, comment, and subscribe to this podcast. And we love to see you download these episodes. We always love to keep track of where everyone is at and see just where all of our information, knowledge, love, and passion is going. So with that, again, thank you for being here. Thanks for being you. I'm hoping you are having a fabulous time with your own growing ventures if you are growing. And um, we're sending you all the love. So thanks, happy growing, and we'll chat with you soon. Bye. Bye.